0: Today's episode is brought to you by Dream Maker Creative. Dream Maker Creative designs and produces a monthly crafting subscription box for tweens and teens called Terra Create. Winner of a Best in Category Award by Cratejoy in 2020, Terra Create kits feature quality materials along with real artisan tools and techniques to inspire the next generation of makers. Check them out at dreammakercreative.com. Thank you so much, Dreammaker Creative. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 193 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about textiles as a spiritual practice with my guest, Christy Johnson. Christy's art combines cosmic visions and botanical beauties, a hypnotic dance of symbols stitched slowly and methodically into fabric. She's the woman behind Mixed Color, a textile studio providing functional pieces that are thoughtfully made, as well as sharing skills so that others may do so themselves. The transforming and evolving qualities of natural materials are embraced, and the use of discarded materials give new life to that which has been cast aside. Christy creates kits and booklets, as well as leading textile art workshops to not only educate others on these ancient skills, but also share the methods of her own creative practice. Christy Johnson, welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. I am really excited about your new book. Um, It's coming out with story in just a couple of weeks, so in June of 2020, and it's called Mystical Stitches Embroidery for Personal Empowerment and Magical Embellishment. What an incredible name. So I'm, <laughs> I love it. It's like so intriguing. So tell us a little bit about the book itself, like what's in it, and then how it came to be.
1: Yeah, so uh, the book is um, basically a ho- it's a, both a how-to book on how to embroider, but it also covers um, kind of how to use different symbols and different imagery to kind of create talisman for yourself, so that you're able to bring a little bit something extra into your embroidery. It's not just about embroidering something because it's pretty. It's about embroidering something. Um, because it has a deeper resonance for you. It has it has a deeper meaning for you. And also because it's pretty. So.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, I love that. And I think that connects so well with people right now, you know, in the zeitgeist of sort of connecting your mind and body and spiritual and doing that through handwork. So I just think it's such a great moment for a book like this. So inside, there are actual embroidery designs, correct? Yes.
1: Yeah. So the idea is that um, you can kind of pick and choose which elements you want to use and then like combine them in a larger piece that you would create. So I really want to have the reader be a part of the design process. And so it's not just, you know, um, using something directly from the book. It's really kind of using your own um, sort of visual inspiration to kind of combine different pieces
0: wonderful and so this book is out with story and I love story Um, and one of the things I love about them is their books don't go out of print which is just awesome but tell us a little bit about sort of the process of coming to write a book because this is your first book yes correct
1: yeah so I had um I think it was 2016 um, when I was teaching embroidery workshops and I wanted something like <laughs> this goes back many years, but um, I wanted something to go along with the workshop so that people could still work on it when they went home. And so I made my, I made a little booklet for everybody and it was probably 20 pages um, to maybe 24 pages um, and I really loved being able to use that for the classes. Um, and as I felt more comfortable bringing in the sort of spiritual element to my classes and sort of bringing in the idea of that, like, it's not just about um, the visuals of what we create, there's a like kind of deeper meanings with the images that we choose. And we can allow those, um, we can allow the deeper meanings to be a part of our process. Um, I started to realize that I wanted a book that was a little bit more, uh, like went a little bit more deeply into that. Um And so in 2018, I wrote a book called Illuminated Stitches, um, and it was similar. It had all the how-tos for how to do each stitch, um, and then I also added, you know, a a small selection of symbols that you could use, um, and then some patterns in the back. So it was kind of a precursor to Mystical Stitches. I think it was four pages. Yeah,
0: yeah. So then, and that was self that was self published, right? So it's something yes, that you yeah. okay, yeah, self published, yeah, and it wasn't even like
1: you know I just would get like a hundred printed at a time, <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. You know, it was it, it was
1: not like it didn't have a lot of um, yeah, I wasn't really peddling it at at a, at a extreme rate and by any means, but it was still enough um for it to kind of have a come up come on with a life of its own. So then a good friend of mine, um, Stacy Wakefield, she was like. This is a book proposal. Ah, I love that. <laughs> She's like, you could make this into a book. I was like, no, no, no. And eventually, she was like, come over to my house. <laughs> um, we're going to, you know, we're going to put this together in a book proposal. And so she made me sit down and do it, which was great because um, it was something that I did see, you know, becoming larger and a little bit more in depth. But I had never thought. To go with a publisher, I kind of tend to do things like on my own, kind of DIY, and so it was nice to be able to have someone help me, help guide me in, you know, pushing that out into the world a little, a little bit better.
0: Yeah, because there are, you know, there's some standards about, you know, how you put together a proposal, which you can Google, but like it's also very nice to have somebody kind of um, say, yeah, this is this is for real. This could be something, and I also think it's pretty Mm -hmm. cool that you created this as a teaching tool because it didn't exist out there and you needed something. And, um, and that's actually a great way to come up with a concept for a book.
1: Yeah, totally. That's, um, yeah, especially, you know, most of the embroidery books that I look at, I have a really hard time understanding the diagrams. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I'm also left handed. So I've always had kind of a hard time understanding diagrams. So for me, when I teach, it's all about like, okay, how do I say this in a way that people can really understand and they don't have to spend 20 minutes like studying these images?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or going to YouTube and being like, what? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to when I did mystical stitches, I wanted to go like as deep as possible into, you know, providing each image of each stage of the process and not just showing, you know, one image to illustrate the stitch. So yeah, I think that and that was yeah very much driven by the fact that I was was like, no, no one's really doing this, you
0: know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. So in the process of working with a conventional publisher on your idea, um, did it change or grow? Or were there things that you realized about it that maybe you hadn't seen when you were just working on it on your own? Um, yeah,
1: definitely. I think that, um, yeah, there were definitely parts of the process where I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You know, being able to have somebody else, um, kind of in the room and in the, you know, thinking about it creatively, all of a sudden, I can't think of anything specific, but there was definitely a lot of times when, um, you know, the editor and the art department would see things that I didn't necessarily see, but that were so clear once they mentioned it. Right of what the book was doing or, you know, how things were working within it. Um, so that was really, really wonderful. Um, yeah. And just having, you know, when I was doing the books myself, I do all the layout. <laughs> totally. I, just, I did all the printing of it, you know, folded them, stapled them, everything. So having, you know, a team of people that are doing the layout and working on all this stuff. It was, that was really incredible. I'm just like, Oh, this is taken care of, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then they become your marketing partner as well. And I think if you see it as a partnership, it can be really fruitful versus kind Mm -hmm. of seeing them as having to do everything. It really is a partnership between the author and the publisher.
1: Right, definitely. And I think there's, you know, it's, at some points you kind of have to advocate for your own choice or, you know, yes. for your own um, opinions on things. And I just, lear- you know, I kind of was really passionate about certain things like the cover. And so I just
0: from a really early stage in the process was like, by the way, I want to input on this, by the way. I want you
1: know."
0: Yeah, and you uh, do I need to, you need to yeah. stand up for yourself and the, for the things that you're passionate about, and then kind of flex on the things that you're like, yeah, I could go either way, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, and that took a lot of trust for me to kind of let go with a, because I am such a visual person to let go with the design part of it. Um, but you know, they sent me an early image of what she, what, what the art department was doing. I was like, oh yes, please
0: keep going. (laughs) That's great. And you know, yeah, you know, you're with the right publisher when they, they do that. They send you an early Mm -hmm. draft and you love it. So yeah. That's great. Yeah, I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to get a copy. And I hope people go so again, it's called mystical stitches. So go out there and get a copy when it is out in just a few weeks. So I want to kind of walk back to how you got where you are now. And I know you were um, raised in Florida. Is that right? Yes, correct. So tell us a little bit about your household when you were growing up. Yeah,
1: so I grew up in an environment where it was just surrounded by textiles surrounded by fibers all the time Um, my mom she was uh, an engineer like that was her job during the day but on the weekends she was just like needed to be home needed to be making stuff um you know we had like my parents office had my mom's knitting machine in it like you know the walls the wall of the office was all yarn um and so yeah she was very passionate about kind of spending her off time being really creative um, and I have an older brother and an older sister. My older sister ended up studying fashion design. So she was always really, you know, kind of playing around with the fabrics and playing around with clothes and everything too. And so I was really kind of basically raised into all these crafts. And because I was the third child, um, it was very much like, okay, you like, <laughs> you get to do what everyone else is doing because <laughs> that's, yeah. what you know, you don't get to be like, I want to do this. Um, <laughs> so I think I just kind of naturally fell into um you know really enjoying textiles and that was kind of my my happy place.
0: <laughs> yeah, and your your father is African American and your mother's um white she's of of various different european descents. Um yeah. so you are um you are of mixed race.
1: Yes, and that's kind of why I loved the name mixed color it's a little right, bit right, that's what
0: i was thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's such super cool. So we'll get to to the founding of that business in a in a little while. But um, so so when you went to college, did you go to study art or study something related to textiles? Yes, I went. I studied
1: fashion design as well. Um, I think my sister's twelve years older than me, so when oh she, wow, design. Yeah, so so I so I was six years old <laughs> when she started. Um, she went to the local community college for fashion design, and so I would just like. Looking, you know, I was like looking at her books and just, you know, completely obsessed with all that she was doing. Um, you know, she would make these. She made like a suit, this like yellow mustard plaid suit, little skirt set. Uh, and you know, I'm at six years old. I was just fascinated. I bet. <laughs> so that became what I ended up doing. I did a lot of like painting and drawing in high school, but I knew that that wasn't really, um, that wasn't going to be my kind of end vision for job wise, you know, like, as far as paying for college, it was like, okay, I'm going to go to college for something sensible that I can use, <laughs> which, right? Yeah, which in my mind was fashion design. So <laughs> it was about as sensible as I could get.
0: <laughs> okay, so you went out to LA, correct? And and did some yes. and, and studied there. Um, and so when you came out of your undergraduate degree in fashion design, um, I guess, what was it like? Like what were the jobs, the kind of jobs that you were excited about or what, what kind of happened after that?
1: Yeah, there was a little bit of back and forth. Um, I initially, the first job that I got, I, I had worked for them, um, over the summer and when I was still in college. So I basically graduated like right into having a job. Um, and so I did a lot of illustration for them, like drawing their styles. And so that was really fun over the summer, you know, as a summer job. But uh, when I actually like went and worked there, I was like, oh, we're just, I'm just drawing and then putting all these numbers in the computer and then sending them to a factory somewhere else. And then we're having And having that sort of realization that, like, while the drawing was a big part of the job, most of the job was, um, you know, communicating with factories on on different specs of garments. And a lot of the times I felt like I could make this (laughs) in the time that it's taking me to explain it to them. I could just make them one and send it there. But that wasn't how that company worked. And so um, I went through a few different jobs that I, you know, a couple years at each different place. And one of the places was all handmade in Los Angeles. Everything was cut there on the oh, you know on the premise, yeah, and so it, that was another really interesting um, really beautiful sort of production setup, seeing that was with Rose Nichols, who I don't know if she's still in business anymore, but her work was just really amazing, and lots of beautiful silks, amazing prints, like I was able to really kind of get out get outside the box and get really creative in that job,
0: yeah, that's super cool, um yeah. but were there were there aspects I mean, it sounds like from the the first job at least. But maybe there were other ones that were sort of aspects of the, I don't know, fashion industry that kind of turned you off overall. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even within the job, that was like total dream job. Everything was made in L.A.
1: (laughs) It was like we would work. 14 hour days for a good part of the year. (laughs) And it was just like, there's got to be a better way than this. But then, um, you know, the better way would be having them manufactured in other places, which for me, um, I did not really love that model um, of manufacturing. And that's just my personal, um, you know, I'd much rather prefer the manufacturing to be closer, but then even then, it just like, it feels like so much being made and so much, overproduction and kind of creating for the sake of like needing to bring more money in instead of from some sort of underlying passion. Mm. Uh, so, and that really, for me within the industry, I was like, I feel like we're just forcing people to buy more clothes.
0: <laughs> right. In other words, it's like new season styles So like get rid of everything in your closet and get all this other stuff,
1: you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. And
1: we would move through the seasons so fast and it just ne- it never felt like we got to really, you know, enjoy um, the process or really make something that was like absolutely the right thing. Cause we were working so fast, you know, you can only have like one or two fittings and I was like, all right, it's ready to go. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 You're on this kind of like wheel and it's just constantly moving. Yeah. 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 So, so, okay. So when you chose to sort of step out of that rat race, um, what did you decide to do next or what were you seeking?
1: Um, so after I, had done that I I was working in the industry until I moved to New York City um so that was probably I think like seven eight years maybe working in LA and then I moved to New York City and what I wanted to do basically was like create my own collection of clothes um, and have them where they were all made in the US and all dyed with natural dyes and the reason I moved to New York City to do that is because um there's a textile art center in Brooklyn And they were doing a lot more work with natural dyes. At this point in time, it was really hard for me to find information on dyeing and any sort of teachers. Um, So I was trying to find as much as I could. um, And that seemed like a really great option because it was more of a concentrated area of people working with natural dyes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've come a long way. I feel like in just the last few years, there's been you know, like, um, from A Verb for Keeping Warm, there's just been a lot more introduction of natural dye process and just familiarity, I feel like in the craft world. Oh, definitely. Yeah. When Christine Vijar came out with A Modern Natural dye with A
1: Verb for Keeping Warm, that was like, I was like, thank God this book exists, you know?
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> a beautiful book. We had Christine on the show. And um, yeah, totally. That, that's just an incredible book. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'd like to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Dreammaker Creative, and the owner of Dreammaker Creative, Sarah Smith.
2: Hi, um, my name is Sarah Lorien Smith, and my business is called Dreammaker Creative. We produce our own line of DIY maker kits for tweens, teens, and adults, and we offer creative workshops in our location in Kitsap County, Washington. Our main product line is called Terra Create, and this is a subscription program that we started about four years ago. And it's targeting a tween and teen audience. Um, this is an age group where they've kind of outgrown childish crafts, um, but they still have slightly kid-like tastes. And so it's kind of adult crafts um, repackaged for, you know, just the tastes of the teens. And so it uses real artisan tools, um, you know, none of the the cheap plastic crap that you get in a lot of the kits in the toy stores and that sort of thing. The one that we're shipping this month is a cyanotype kit, which is a process of um, developing paper in the sun with like an indigo type print. And so many kids have done these before, but we've taken this project further by turning it into building luminaries out of the finished artworks that the kids do with these. We've also recently done um, a kit that was uh, fabric fortune cookies. We've done all kinds of candle making, um, melt and pour soap with an ocean theme. We have um, three plans right now. One is a month-to-month where you cancel any time, and we also offer three-month and six-month prepaid subscription bundles, which are great for gifting, and also great for homeschoolers. Um, Another thing about our kits is that they include a small lesson related to the project. And so that kind of helps parents who want to tie the, the arts and crafts in with another subject matter.
0: Yeah, this sounds terrific. So where can people go to check this out, maybe buy a gift for a teen or tween in their life and kind of see what it's all about?
2: Um, I have two websites. One is dreammakercreative.com, and that's kind of the umbrella organization that covers all of my little crafting projects. And then terracreate.net, that's T-E-R-R-A-C-R-E-A-T-E.net mm. um, is where the subscriptions are for this particular product line. We also, um, in our shop in Bremerton, Washington, sell craft kits made by other um, independent makers and artisans, as well as our own small
0: batch kits. That's super cool. I love craft kits. So, this sounds right up my alley. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah.
2: All right. Thank you. It's been fun talking to you.
0: Thank you so much, Dreammaker Creative. And now, back to my conversation with Christy. Um, okay, so you started your line and it was called Made of Dreams originally, which I think is really interesting it because was. it's like, um, you know, your idea of having it be having the the textiles reflect your a person's sort of inner purpose or feeling okay. um, was there right from even that name, even though that name, yeah. it sounds like we're short lived. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was. I wanted something a little bit more um kind of universal, universal, I guess, for be- lack of better terms. But yeah, the, yeah, it did start off as made of dreams. Um, and then I kind of, I knew that it might not just stay clothing, even early on, I was like, I might want to do some sort of education component with this. So that, for some reason, the made of dreams just didn't feel applicable to that. So I changed it to mixed color and kind of opened it up to some, some sort of educational sources. So I was selling the booklet that I made for the workshop, for example, Um, and I would have the workshops also. So it was kind of education and clothing.
0: Right. So it kind of diversified early on, it sounds like, where it wasn't just going to be a handmade clothing line, but it was going to include other things you enjoyed doing. You know, it was going to include some media, it was going to include some teaching, it had some other elements sort of early on. And can you talk a little bit about that name? We, we touched on it earlier, but about the name Color" and how you came to choose it?
1: Yeah, so basically, I, I loved the, you know, the, the idea of um, mixing colors in general, where when I work with paint or even textiles or any sort of color medium, I, I enjoy the color when two opposing colors or seemingly opposing colors sit next to one another, that kind of vibration that that creates for me is really enjoyable. Um, So for example, if I have, you know, if I'm embroidering something that's like all Brown and orange and bronze, I might add some purple in there because I think it's a really exciting, you know, it creates more excitement in the visual. And so for me, combining that with the idea of being, you know, a a racially mixed person kind of, allowed it to be a little bit cheeky almost <laughs> in that sense. Um, and so also being able to speak to the beauty of different cultures existing next to, alongside one another, cultures that would seem to maybe have difference in values, but when they exist together, um, those things kind of start to blend a little bit more so
0: yeah that's such a great name I, I love how it encapsulates all of those ideas and so was a part of this um choice to go out on your own also trying to create not like work-life balance but like a work life that's more i don't know in line with your ideal schedule where it's not 14 hour days and just constantly being taxed by everything related yes, to your job definitely. yeah <laughs> yeah
1: Definitely. Yeah. I find it, I like really, I like being alone in the morning.
0: (laughs) I hear that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily mind working in the morning. I just don't like everything around me. Um, And so that was definitely something that was always really hard for me working within an industry was just like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be anywhere until 10 or 11. Um, And that is definitely Something that I've created in in life now, which I'm like, I'm so glad that I was able to change that. But really, when I started my own business, it was also because I wanted to create something out with my own values. Um, You know, there was a lot of kind of exceptions made in the fashion industry about how things were manufactured and how much people were paid to to make them, and that really bothered me. So I was working with some New York factories that paid decent wages and was doing a lot of the sewing myself. And then I found myself burning out. Um, Oh, yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. yeah, And that
1: was definitely what I was like, okay, this can't be the only thing. I don't actually enjoy sewing and dyeing and selling clothes enough (laughs) for this to be the only part of the business.
0: Right. Totally. And so, um, I mean, have you always identified yourself as somebody who enjoys teaching and and likes that energy that comes from students or was that kind of new?
1: No, I've definitely, I, when I had been in LA, um, I had taught a few workshops and I'm kind of the person that my friends would go to if they're like, Hey, I want to make this shirt or like, I want to fix this thing. They would always text me for it. And I would find myself like answering their questions and drawing, sending them sketches and you know, like, <laughs> like three page long text messages <laughs> on exactly how to do it. And so I had taught a few workshops when I was in Los Angeles because I recognized that pretty early on that I really enjoy the process of teaching, but I hadn't really until I moved to New York City really um, dove a whole lot deeper in that.
0: Yeah, totally. Okay. And so, um, so you started teaching. Did you um, host the classes in your own, you know, house slash? textile studio? Or did you go out and kind of pitch them to local, you know, maker space areas or um, fabric shops or things like that?
1: Yeah, I had actually, it was interesting. Um, I had been teaching embroidery at a few places. I don't I'm trying to remember where in New York City. And um, I can't remember where I was teaching it, but it, the natural dyeing workshops that I was doing, it was it, a- it actually happened because of the stores that I was working with. Oh. So I would do the dyeing workshops at the stores and the stores approached me. Um, so in one instance the store that is not no longer there in Greenpoint called People of Tomorrow, she asked me because we had had so many conversations about natural dyes because when you're selling a like a new concept to people, you have to do a lot of explaining <laughs> of what it yeah. is. And also, you know, it's like, this is why it costs more. And this is why it also needs more special care or like, you know, don't leave the stuff in the window or tell the customers to wash it this way, you know, pay attention to the, tell them to pay attention to the washing label. Um, not that natural dyes are that much more complicated, but they are a little bit light sensitive and you don't want to, um, you know, wash something in vinegar if it's <laughs> been natural dyed or something. So there's just little things that when you start to know about it, it's really easy to care for them in the right way. And so I was having these conversations with stores and then, they were like, Oh, can you
0: actually just come and teach our, you know, <laughs> teach our clientele, because they would love this. Right? So. Totally. People so. who buy it might want to try it. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's super cool. Okay. All right. That's Yeah, I think that's really neat. And, um, and were you doing some other? So you were you were dying clothes to sell, but not as much anymore. You are teaching these workshops. And then how did you sort of come up with you have kind of some product a product line basically you have embroidery patterns and you have kits and things like that so did that get added to the mix as like another way to connect with your customer base that was a little more recently um
1: at the time when I was living in New York City I was just working for other artists basically uh so I was working for other artists to buy the materials to make my own work so that, that yeah that came a little bit later um probably in the past few years, I started adding the patterns and um, zines and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so did you also create your website around that time or your blog or, you know, start sharing on Instagram and kind of building an online following as well? Yeah, yeah. And I grew up when I was in middle school, I learned how to
1: build websites, you know, just with like Angel Fire and Geo Cities and all those oh, right.
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: website builders. And so I had already been really familiar with like, I, that's something web design, graphic design and stuff is something that I'm always been really interested in. So yeah, I built my website basically, you know, right upon starting the company.
0: Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And you sent out a really lovely newsletter, which I get to, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your newsletter strategy or or what you put in there. Right. Yeah. I mean, with the newsletter strategy, there's always like, if
1: I find out something exciting that I'm really interested in, or if my friend, one of my friends is doing something really great. um, I'll add those to the newsletter. And so, and then, then sometimes it's like, I need to, you know, let people know that I have new stuff in the store or let them know that this um, new course is open for enrollment. And within that, I want to make sure that I'm also providing other You know, I'm not just selling to people. It's like, oh, and also here's all this free information. (laughs) Um, And it's usually, you know, kind of resharing or highlighting different parts of my blog posts um, or it's sharing cool things that my friends are doing or interesting books that I've picked up or, you know, a movie that I've seen. So,
0: yeah, I think that's really smart because you train your audience like there's going to be a goodie in here, you know, uh, besides a coupon code. There's going to be something in here for me that I probably wouldn't have missed otherwise. Yeah, I think I I like to think of it as kind of like a magazine. Oh, I like that. (laughs) If
1: if I'm if I was making a magazine, like what would I want to be in that magazine? You know, how would I want people to read? Or how would I want people to engage with the material? Um, And so yeah, that's kind of how I like to relate it to.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your online courses, because you have more than one. Um, Maybe you can talk about the first one and sort of how it came to be and what it consists of? Because I know a lot of listeners are like, Oh, I'd love to create an online course, but it seems so overwhelming to figure out the platform and how to create videos and whether to do live portions of it or have have it be right. all asynchronous or so tell us a little bit about like how you went about this.
1: Yeah, so I actually <laughs> had the idea to make an online course in like, 2016 or something. Yeah, like 2016, 2017. And I just was not I didn't know how to do it. And I wasn't, I hadn't really seen very many people doing it in a way that interested me, or in a way that I thought, like, oh, that would be a cool method. Um, And so I basically just toyed around with the materials for months and months and months and months and months. And, you know, it would let them sit for a few months and then work on them a little bit here and there. And I, I mean, from like scratch to finish, i started, it started off as a blog on my Squarespace website and I had it hidden and it was just this blog that I had been working on forever. Um, and then I kind of shelved it a few times and I would even like record videos of stuff <laughs> and kind of shelve those. And, you know, I was just trying it out. Basically I was trying out the format. I was trying out the curriculum and constantly revising it, um, and correcting it and developing new, concepts of how it was working, but I knew I wanted it to not just be a course about embroidery. Um, Sorry, I should have stated that in the beginning. This was an embroidery course that I was working on. And I knew that I didn't want it to just be, this is how you embroider. I wanted it to be more about um, inspiring people to bring more creativity in their daily lives. And so I wanted it to really be a combination of embroidery class, but also kind of just a general art class or like a, you know, a kind of creative practice class. And I knew that was going to be an element of it. But so I had been working on this for years, just kind of going back and forth with it. And then when I decided, um, basically in 2020, when the pandemic happened, I decided like, well, now's the time to do this. Right. Um, I can't drive workshops anymore. So I got to finish it. And so I worked on it for months and months and months again, (laughs) um, you know, just every now and then kind of opening it up and tooling with it and moving a few things around. Um, and then I just kind of put a date on it and I started filming some shots and it was really beautiful, because I had thought that I had completely revised the course, but then, at the end, I found myself you know working on the the new material that I had revised, and then pulling from the old material and being able to even pull from old videos and kind of splice those in and it was just this totally beautiful, magical kind of combination of things that I had come up with recently and things that were just like perfectly there in my computer file already saved already done
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, it sounds like ruminating on it for essentially four years um not that it should take people four years to make a course but um but but in this case right like having those um ideas and the curriculum kind of brewing helped you to, in the end, create something that you really loved. So um, yeah, so I I know there's probably people listening who are like, yeah, I've had this idea on the back burner for a long time. And it's like, it's not too late, it can it can come to fruition, you just have to kind of get to that moment. Totally. And it's, you know, like, look at those notes, look at the past
1: notes that you wrote about it. Like, all of a sudden, when we look at that older material of things that we've made with new eyes, it's like, every single time I would review it, it would, you know, it would just spawn all of these new ideas and all of these new ways of presenting it. So yeah, I highly recommend it's like, if you're even thinking about it, it's probably been on your mind for a while. (laughs) Right. That's a good sign. Yeah, just keep playing with it. trying it. Yeah, try new platforms. There's a lot of free time, you know, um, free trials for a lot of different platforms and they don't delete it when you're done with your trial. You just, you know,
0: so yeah, it's just a lot of files. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, this course, um, this embroidery course, is it all like pre-recorded or do you kind of open it for a period of time and then new students come in and you have like live events with them until it's over or how does that work? Yeah. So it's
1: pre-recorded. Um, the first round I did, I just did the pre-recorded um, material, and it comes with PDFs and everything, and there's you know assignments at the end of each. Um, but then this last time that I ran it, I decided to do it um, with live q and a sessions. And I think that was really helpful for people. Um so i do I do prefer that kind of setting where we're all working through the material essentially at the same time. But the live q and A's give it a little bit more of a personal touch to it. Um, And then I have another workshop that I've done more recently called soft work. And that is 100% live. And that's a garment making workshop. And it's basically hundred percent live because I'm, I'm, I'm still kind of making sure I'm covering all the bases. And when I have the live audience there, people are able to say, you know, I didn't quite understand that. And that gives me a lot of information on how this class can become something else in the future, like some other form.
0: Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, I think being able to teach a class in person is really informative because you see where people get tripped up, what their questions always are, what their fears are, and then you can address them when you're teaching an online class. So if you can't teach it in person, at least teaching it live, you know, over the first few times can be super informative. Um, yes, yeah, definitely and that's why
1: i feel like my i was so able, able to do so well with my embroidery class cuz i had taught it so many times live right. that i knew all of the things that we we ran into
0: yeah exactly so there's different models here different ways to get feedback different ways to develop a course mm-hmm. and just because you choose one way for your first one doesn't mean it has to be that way for the second one so i think that's also freeing you know to know that okay. um, for sure for people and i think it's also interesting to note that your first course it wasn't as you said it wasn't just an embroidery course, there was a bigger concept behind it about being more in touch with your creative, your creativity. Um, In other words, I feel like that's the selling point, you know, because you can just get better at embroidery through YouTube, you know, and that's free. So there has to be something about it that is a broader concept that I think is a bigger selling point for people. Definitely. Yeah. And I actually have that on part of my,
1: um, you know, Frequently asked questions. It's like, can I just use this? Can I just learn embroidery from YouTube? <laughs> so, you know, I try and address that. Address the really objection. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Address the objection. And it's like, yes, you can. But when you find the YouTube channel that also allows you to create a you know, creative process, and turn this. You know, like, let me know. I would love right. to know where that
0: was. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so, I, I think that's really great. And your your new course, the one about um, clothing, called Soft Work, it is focused on intuitive garment construction. And I think this is fascinating. I have not, maybe I haven't looked hard enough, but I have not seen a class that is. Focus on this concept of sort of non Eurocentric clothing styles. So, if for people who are like unfamiliar with what that means, what is intuitive garment construction?
1: Yeah, so for me, that means we are working with the shape of the fabric and the shape of our bodies. And when we look at the way that fabric is constructed and we really consider what goes into the manufacturing of, fabric, we want to waste as little of it as possible. Um, You know, for example, if you had to grow the linen and ret the linen and weave the linen, (laughs) by no means would you start cutting pieces off of it and throwing them in the trash can. (laughs) Um, And so it's really taking the actual dimensions of the cloth and being able to work with that in a way and cut into that in a way that allows you to use as much of the fabric as possible, while also recognizing that, a lot of the sort of ways of making really comfortable, easy-fitting clothes that move really well with us is by doing it based in really simple shapes that happen to make it really easy to waste as little fabric as possible. Right. Um, and these kind of really direct shapes allow us to grow or shrink in size. You know, we don't have to worry about them not fitting if we lose a couple pounds or gain a couple pounds. So I think for me, that's what that embodies those both concepts of both working with how we work with the fabric and how we work with our bodies
0: yeah because there are cultures where you know um the main item of clothing is really a very long rectangle of cloth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which if you think about it is so different from buying a blouse yeah <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. that's not the same Definitely. yeah
1: and I, yeah, it's like, you know, with a hole with a slat, uh, slash in the middle of it where your head goes
0: in, you know, it's like, yeah, not a single inch of the fabric has been wasted. I mean, yeah. even like the caftan is like that, too, mm-hmm. where it's just mm-hmm. really a long rectangle with a hole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, too. And and I also think, you know, it's going to be comfortable, it's going to have less waste, and it's not as complicated to make. Oh yes, exactly. I forgot to mention that part.
1: Yes. (laughs) It makes it so much easier to put together when you're sewing straight pieces to straight pieces and you don't have these weird curves or, you know, biases or anything. It's like yeah, it just runs through the machine like butter. So
0: <laughs> right, so it's less intimidating and freeing in in a multitude of different ways. Um, yeah. That's super cool. So I think people should totally check out that course too. It's not like anything I had seen before. Um, and then you also do a lot with, um, I guess, maybe reusing clothing in your own closet, but also th- Buying thrifted clothing or um you know, cl- reused clothing, and then embellishing it and and showing people how to, you know, make it special and and make it feel like something exciting to wear, yeah. and that I, I really love that process of finding used pieces, vintage
1: pieces and reworking them. Um, basically, I don't really live anywhere near many thrift stores or resale stores. Um, there's a few little ones, but, I have a friend, a good friend who has a vintage store in a town nearby. And so I work with her a lot (laughs) where she'll find something and it's, you know, has a tear here or it's not, doesn't quite, you know, it's not quite there basically for the vintage. That's not quite there or it just could be a little bit more special. Um, She'll then give those pieces to me. And then I work with them sometimes just embroidery. Sometimes I'll do some dyeing on top, sometimes a little bit of applique, but basically just putting the garment on and being like, you know, kind of thinking about, like, what does this garment want to be? How does this garment want to be rebirthed, essentially, um, become a totally new form and have a new life? And how can we kind of infuse these fibers with a little bit more love and intention behind it so that we can continue to remember, you know, where what we have already used no longer, or still has a purpose, basically.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. And then is she selling those pieces that you finished working on or how is that?
1: Okay. I bring them back to her and I also put them on my website, but most of them we sell through her shop.
0: Yeah. That's super cool. What a cool concept. And, um, and then you also make these little, um, stitch wish talisman. And, um, this is something I, when I saw them, I was struck by how, um, somebody could use probably your new book and, um, or, you know, their own designs, I guess, and make these in a workshop, it just seemed like such a workshop ready thing. But tell us a little bit about them and, um, and the role that they play. And, um, and do you agree with me that people could try to make some? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So Stitch Wish are these little talisman that I make. And
1: they're just Uh, a nice embroidery on three inch by three inch square of fabric. And what they are to me is they are, you know, whether it's good fortune or protection or some other sort of blessing that you want to bring to yourself, um, they are these symbols of, based on what the image is, that is stitched onto them is, they are these symbols of transformation for you to then sew into your clothes. Um, And then it becomes something that you are seeing on a regular basis, like let's say you sew it into one of your favorite jackets. If you're constantly seeing this symbol, this butterfly symbol, or this um, palm leaf symbol, or, you know, whatever you might choose, the sword symbol with a this mushroom symbol, all these different symbols that I I have offered. And being able to see that and interact with that image regularly can help to sort of bring that into your life by reminding being a consistent reminder for you. So
0: yeah, totally. So I just felt like, wow, it's a three inch by three inch canvas is like such an unintimidating size. And you know, you could embroider Something that has meaning for you. And then it's like a touch point to keep you grounded. You could even sew it if you wanted to inside of a coat pocket, or, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be publicly visible, although they're beautiful and they can be. But yeah. Yeah.
1: No, I love the kind of it's like this little secret weapon that you have inside, or, you know, secret little message to yourself that you have sewn into a jacket on the inside lining is really fun. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's super cool. Um, And tell us a little bit about like the different symbols, because you just mentioned a few of them. But what are some of your favorites? And where are you pulling these from? Are you reading books of mythology or books about different ceremonies? Or how are you finding these images? And and what are some of the ones that are most meaningful for you? Yeah, I definitely
1: love um, books on mythology. (laughs) Um, I have a lot of books just on spiritual and art in general, uh, spirituality and art, art, um, alchemy, art books, things like that, um, different sort of creation myth ideas. And so I have a rich library of visual inspiration that I keep um, usually scattered all over my desk. (laughs) But then, yeah, some of the images... I will combine different elements and that's usually kind of a process of meditating on an image and seeing it grow in a certain way. For example, um, one of my favorite ones is a sword with a rib cage around it. Um, And the idea of that being it's, you know, our, our rib cage is the protector of our heart, the sword being the sternum and being this sort of decisive factor of like what we do and don't let in. Um, And so it's not this aggressive sword. It's more of a, sort of internal power, I guess. Mm, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And then other ones, like I have, you know, a butterfly or a moth. Um, it, technically it's a moth, but it, you know, it's hard to tell the difference in embroidery <laughs> between a butterfly and a moth. Um, and that is the idea of transformation, the idea of going from a caterpillar to the chrysalis to this new form, um, psychological transformation. So that. Um, Another one I have, I'm looking at them right now. Uh, I have a mushroom one and that one is the idea of um, mycelium. So the kind of mycelial network that runs underground and like how can we as a community support one another and kind of give each other Um, the inspiration and the information that we need and provide for one another.
0: So, Oh, that's great. That's perfect for me. I love that. Um, Yeah, Yeah. these are so great. And I think once people start to think about them and reflect on them, um, there's definitely symbolism that would resonate with, you know, with people or combinations of symbolism. And then there's so much Mm -hmm. you can do with that, because other people might just read it as an image, but you know, kind of its deeper meaning. Yeah,
1: definitely. And if somebody, you know, I think there are cases where people see something else in an image and it's like, if that's
0: what it says to you, (laughs) you know, by all means, feel the feel free to run with that. <laughs> oh, sure. Like they can be interpreted in different ways. That's why we make yeah. art you know, for multiple totally, interpretations. Totally. And
1: hearing somebody else interpret, you know, something that I've made, I'm like, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> wasn't at all what I was thinking, but that is amazing. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. That's super cool. Okay, so now you've got this new source of income. You've got your book. You have two classes. It sounds like those are pretty recently finished. Um, and then you sell the talisman and kits and embroidery patterns um, on the website. And I'm sure in-person work workshops are going to come back at some point and, and you'll probably go back to doing those as well. Um, any Anything else I'm missing there as far as like building a business on this? I think
1: that's basically it. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And it takes, I mean, I'm imagining, you know, there's different times when different ones of those are, are at the forefront, but I think it takes mm-hmm. a combination of them to make it work.
1: Yes, definitely. And to also not, you know, drive yourself crazy and burn yourself out on one thing.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where, you know,
1: if I was doing, if I was embroidering the talisman all day, like that would drive me nuts. You know, I would be so sick of embroidery. Or if I was constantly trying to edit video for workshops or teach workshops even, that would be completely exhausting in that way. So I need a lot of variety in work. And so I think that works for me. But it's definitely... Some areas get dropped for a couple months <laughs> and then picked back up. So
0: yeah, and it requires a lot of organization, and I'm guessing too more than its fair share of being at the computer. Yes, definitely. Which definitely. is which I'm, is hard. Do you had do you have yeah. a sy- system to kind of fight against spending the whole day answering email? Um, I do. Yeah, my favorite, honestly, the garden is an incredible
1: one. <laughs> Being able to go out and just stick my hands in the dirt in the garden, um, that really tends to kind of bring me into like, okay, what else, you know, what else could I work on today? Having that, even if it's just 10 minutes of weeding the plants, it's like, okay, how can I basically taking a long enough break to go like, where, you know, where is my energy best spent? Mm. Um, you know i could be i could continue working on the computer or i could move off the computer do some drawing you know do some kind of brainstorming in a notebook with a pen right <laughs> and no distractions and see where that takes me and i think that's a really important thing to do is to just give myself time yeah just with a notebook and a pen because it can be easy to be like oh i'll just type up my ideas and i think getting it off the computer and then putting it back on the computer might seem not as efficient but it is definitely more conducive to having great new ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's perhaps a different part of your brain to be physically writing and looking at the page than it is to look at a computer screen and be typing for sure. Um, But I do think that that conscious... Decision to say how is my energy best spent is really brilliant. Like, do I? I mean, and it may be my energy is best spent answering these fifty emails. You know, that could be. Like, that could be it. You know, like, but 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 if you just kind of go with the flow, you're less likely to make the time to be creative. You know, so definitely. No, I think that's really important. And as far as emails go, I find it really important also.
1: I'll just press send, like, like, I'm not even sure I'm done writing the email. And I just press send. I'm like, it's done.
0: You know, my thoughts are out. <laughs> right. And because I you try can and make it
1: take as little time as possible. You can yeah. say
0: Yeah, you can sit in front of it forever. And, um and try to make it perfect. And then mm-hmm. you just use all your time up. you know, so yeah,
1: totally, I'm like, I'll give this five minutes. I know, you know, unless it's something I need to think about an idea that I need to think about but if it's just like scheduling or something it's like just press send
0: (laughs) I love that and do you have that do you have that same approach to like social media and you know Instagram and you know I feel like that's another huge time suck
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do tend to try and kind of batch out writing for that because I I can't I if I sit there in the morning and I'm just staring at the blank screen on the phone I can't find anything. And so I'll have, you know, I'll write, I have a document where I write all of my ideas for posts, when I have them. And then I can kind of pull from there and be like, Oh, this is actually, you know, or I'll take a photo and be like, Oh, this, you know, that one quote would would be perfect for this or whatever.
0: Mm, That's a great system, too. It's like, keep a document. So when ideas strike, you can put out, you know, five or six of them, and then just pull for them Mm -hmm. on different days. Yeah, yeah. Because when idea. I
1: have one idea, usually it spawns a bunch of other ideas and it like, it, you know, it doesn't seem as organic to kind of be posting in that way. But it's like, these are ideas I wanted to share. I just didn't have an image to go with it. Right. <laughs> now, you know, now I know, oh, you know, this would be the, if I shot this like this, it'd be the perfect descriptor for this. You know, phrase that I wanted to share with people.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, t- super. Okay, those are all really good tips, Christy. Thank you so much. Oh, and great. so um, I want to get to some of your recommendations, um, things that you might recommend to a creative friend um, that you are enjoying right now. So do you have some ideas of some things to recommend to us? Um, yeah, so one thing I recently got this book called
1: The Intentional Thread a guide to drawing just drawing gesture and color and stitch Um, i think it's by susan brandeis and it is just it's it's really amazing like she goes so far into depth on how we can use stitch to create texture how we can use it to how how we can blend colors to create um, different depths like you know using all the same colors but in three different ways Mm -hmm. and showing how that really pushes and pulls different colors back and forth um, so, yeah, I highly recommend that has been a huge source of um, inspiration for me. Just really thinking about the way all the different ways a stitch can go. And I, I mean, that's a big part of the course that I teach, but I'm really glad that I taught that I did all the videos of the course before I got this book. <laughs> Cause yeah. I like, okay, now I know that. Um, yeah, it's like I don't I don't need to change everything, but like this is gave me a little bit of new information in my own work.
0: Yeah, totally. And maybe there'll be a part two of the embroidery course down the road. You never know. But um right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds super cool. So is is her book all embroidery or does it venture into other things or is it really about embroidery?
1: Um it's really about embroidery. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right. super cool. I'm pretty cool. sure it's almost exclusively embroidery.
1: Yeah, which is really, you know, it's a fat book too. It's probably 200 plus pages. And so the fact that she was able to really expand upon just how many different ways to do a stitch. I think there's a little bit of beading in there, but for the, yeah, maybe a little applique, but 90% embroidery.
2: Yeah. Wow.
0: <laughs> That's super cool. I've never heard of her book before. So thank you. The Intentional Thread. Okay, awesome. Um, and do you have any other recommendations for us? Yeah, there's
1: actually I'm currently um taking an online workshop called The Alchemical Imagination. Um it's uh, it's ending soon, so but it is by Eliza Swan and I it's just incredible um all of the information that she's able to provide. I think she used to teach at or she probably does still teach at Pratt. Um and it's just really wonderful to have these sort of ancient alchemical concepts combined with art and she'll present, you know, modern artists who are working with whatever different phase of alchemy that she's talking about for the week. Um, and so, yeah, I think whatever, whatever else she does, I think she's working on a book, maybe, um, Eliza Swan, um, is her name. Wow. It's really, wonderful classes.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that there's all of these incredible online classes now, even Mm -hmm. more. I feel like, you know, because of the pandemic, people were like you kind of encouraged to finish up or create um, new courses. And also there's more demand for them from the consumer side Mm -hmm. so they can be (laughs) supported.
1: Yeah. And it's really great because like, you know, Eliza probably only teaches, um, I think she lives in LA now. So she probably only teaches in LA. She's probably not going to travel up to where I live. right? Um, And she probably had no plans on doing online courses until that happened. And now I'm able to take her class. So yeah, I love that. And I've heard the same thing about my classes too, where people are like, Oh, I've always wanted to learn with you, but I knew I could never make it to a workshop. So yeah.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. Very Yeah, really. I mean, it was a hidden blessing of this time that we've all been at home. So There are definitely, yeah, there are definitely
1: some, some silver linings on that, on that whole experience. And
0: yeah. And have you seen like an uptick of interest in handwork and in embroidery or even in sewing clothes since the pandemic began just in observing the way people are spending their time?
1: Definitely, definitely. Where I think a lot of people who are kind of out and about a lot would not have even considered it. And then it was like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) you know, now that I'm at home and I'm sitting still for long periods of time, why don't I try that with some embroidery in hand Um, and really realizing, especially seeing how much they realize how much it fulfills them has been really beautiful. You know, where they're like, oh, I thought it would just kind of take me forever and be really frustrating, but turns out this is really relaxing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it totally is. And productive too when you're stuck at Mm -hmm. home. Yeah, Yeah,
1: definitely. And there's a feeling of accomplishment when you're done with it. And a feeling of, you know, of having made some wonderful creative decisions and having more information for your next creative project, I feel like is really important to
0: experience. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yes. Thank you so much, Abby. I enjoyed talking with you as well. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance Podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Dream Maker Creative. Now for 2021, Dream Maker Creative is curating craft kits from other indie artisans and small businesses. These will be featured in their Bremerton Washington Boutique and on their website alongside their original Terra Create line of craft kits. Dreammaker Creative will also return to teaching craft workshops in the greater Seattle area. Follow them on social media at Dreammaker Creative on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much, Dreammaker Creative. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.